Hello everybody, this is the Technical Area, your weekly football manager podcast, brought to you by me, your host, Gaffer Graymo. It uh, struck me there, in the couple of days since episode 6 dropped earlier this week, that like this is episode 7 now, and when I did start the Technical Area idea a couple of weeks ago, one of the... the hooks I kind of put myself on was I signed up for a free plan with the podcast hosting site and they said after 90 days if you kept on the free plan the first episode would delete so I kind of calculated right right work out roughly 11 12 episodes or so give or take how, how things go and you know I did this last week so you're kind of saying 11 episodes a nice kind of footballing number so obviously now like with now time fast approaching now with like episodes eight, nine, ten, and eleven, like four more to go. You know, if I don't renew before that episode eleven or so, you could be running the risk of losing episode one, where things started back, you know, six weeks ago now. And the one thing I've kind of said is I've loved podcasting. I've said I love being back. You know, I do this daily if I could have, but to be fair, I think once a week is more than enough considering the amount of a. Uh, drivel I can talk and people can often argue the, the lack of knowledge and whatever it is that I have going uh, and I suppose it is a quite a strange time as well to be starting a football manager podcast considering we're stuck in such a, a lull now with a FM 20 like what we talking possibly two weeks from 10 two weeks 10 days away from the beta now at this stage so possibly not the greatest time to be launching into a, to a podcast and a new podcast series but you know, look, at the end of it, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying being back. And if you're enjoying being listening, then of course, I'd say at the start of the podcast this this week, instead of saying at the end, it's like, please feel free to share the pod, review, rate, whatever it is. You know, I'd love to get your feedback. I'd love to know, you know, is there a place in your, I know, more than busy podcast schedule each week for an episode of this to, you know, to keep you going and, through the, the lifespan of FM20 so let me know how, what you think let me know how things go and sure we'll see how things go from there about progressing into you know the full-fledged one-year series at least for the lifespan of FM20. This week's podcast uh, episode 7 is talking to you about transfers transfer systems and of course you know I kind of getting into the Halloween theme we'll talk about those horror transfer stories we all have and if you did see any of the, the tweets I did put out um hilariously kind of talk, putting up the, the pictures of some of those you know transfer flops in recent times that people like to make fun of whether it's uh, Alexis Sanchez to Manchester United or of course that fantastic quintet at Liverpool of the likes of Alberto Acorani, Baratelli, Carroll and Haji Diof and you know unfortunately seeing a fellow Taliban Robbie Keane and that picture did hurt me a little bit I was tempted to crop him out but I suppose there's people out there that would class Robbie as a, a bit of a flop at Anfield, so, you know, it's only fair to, to have left them there, and I don't know, my bias and prejudice get in the way there. The reason this kind of podcast as well, this topic kind of spun about, was partly down to, you know, a lot of the talk we've had over the last couple of, last past couple of days, really. And I suppose the, the increased focus that uh, transfer systems are starting to get in football. Of course, the, the famous Brendan Rodgers, Liverpool transfer committee was one of those um, 
interesting ones where we saw the manager and the club not agreeing on a, a direction. We had a lot of people talking about how transfers are conducted and a little bit more interested in getting under the hood. Whether the uh, Real Madrid era of the Galacticos was actually the manager's idea or the, the president's idea, that's another one. So, And then, of course, now we're into like the era of Moneyball. And one of the ones that I kind of heard on a podcast this week as well, another kind of inspiration behind this was, uh, I don't know if you listened to the Graham Hunter uh, big interview podcast. He, there was a special release there recently out of Astro Ball. So kind of talking about the, uh, I don't know if you're into your Major League Baseball, but Houston Astros over a couple of years went from being statistically and in every facet the worst team in baseball to winning the World Series in 2017. And we're now looking at them again going into a, another World Series this year as possibly one of the best teams in baseball. And that's all because they played Astro Ball, their kind of understanding of data analytics and such, quantifying data, identifying the players, then putting a system in place. You know, so it seems to be something big on Football Manager. People talk about it a lot, blog about it a lot. I know I did, you know, my version of a couple of years ago where I, you know, I, I interpreted it my way. I didn't get into the the Dan Gear attributeless system of things where you kind of you really kind of have to, to delve into what statistics and what data it is you want to um, analyze and base your decisions off. That I kind of got into, you know, my money ball methods was quite simple. It's just look at the statistics, goals, assists, whatever the uh, the obvious data was, and try and pick up these kind of players with its big influences as big fish in smaller ponds make a difference. But Obviously, you know, that is really is pure money ball. It was possibly a little bit of a clickbaity thing for me at the time, but I was only learning my way in the community at the time, and it's safe to say I, I'd like to think I know better now, but uh, judging by this podcast, I can't be 100% sure so, uh, how things are going there. But look, we always learn. We're always learning and trying to improve ourselves. And, you know, it was that kind of thought process on Astro Ball that really got me thinking, you know, listening to how. Yeah, Houston Astros really kind of got themselves together, really, you know, how to implement this philosophy, this system from the top. And it was interesting to hear the interview with the author of the book, the journalist Ben Ryder, talk about how, like, the system did fail initially. And it was a case of initially what, what they set out to do was they looked to hold on to young prospects to develop them. The Houston Astros, they decided what data they believed was quantifiable and based their decisions of recruitment on that data. And then when things began to fall flat initially, where you know they couldn't get over significant hurdles or they were whitewashed in playoff games, they suddenly realized that they lacked experience. Now, I don't want to ruin that, that whole podcast on you, but it was interesting to hear about you know, kind of bringing in a blend of experience and youth into a team. And for me, with Velez Sarsfield going into Argentina, I think that's kind of what we see a lot with Argentinian football and South American football in general, where we have considerably older players and considerably younger players kind of in in squads where this, it's kind of like that's a huge, big stretch of age profile. So you have young, kind of young hotshots breaking through. You've got this, and you've got like guys who are really in the twilight years of their career. And you often can be left short of guys in their prime because they've moved to higher profile, better playing markets, really. And, you know, preparing for managing Velez we're preparing for managing in Argentina, you know, I have to begin to now think of developing a squad that has a blend of this youth and experience. 
And one of the, the other things as well that struck me with the transfer system is I know Vela Sarsfield have done quite well recently in terms of their youth development, the youth recruitment as, uh, as well. Gabriel Heinz is the current manager, and he's done very well. And Velez have begun to develop into quite an exciting club in South America, quite an exciting team to watch. So for me to go into that club and continue the, the good work that has been done in rejuvenating and refreshing things there, you know, I need to have a transfer system in place to avoid any of the big howlers that we can have. So like that, obviously, talking about the horror stories, I'll talk about the transfer system I had at one point that caused me to fall, you know, spectacularly flat, really, on, on my face. You know, and we all have gone through, you know, management, football management, and you know, opportunity boys and input boys have arisen, and we've just, oh, we've gone out, we splashed the cash, then realised, you know, suddenly, kind of, this isn't working, this isn't really kind of what I wanted to happen. And, you know, young, naive Gaffer Graham out here, young, naive Graham, saw an opportunity signing, did not think twice about it, went out, made the deal happen, and suddenly realised once the deal had happened, you know, I stepped back, oh no, what have I done? And then went away and thought, look, I can make this work, I can make this work. And turned into possibly, you know, one of the, the biggest flop signings I have ever made. So, what happened was, you know, my scouts had gone out and found this, what they believed was a five-star potential player in France. An attacking midfielder, comfortable in the left or on the centre, and believed he was a must-buy. So this was football manager 2007, football manager 2008, around that time. So my scouts had done their job, and I said, "This is I didn't need this player, to be honest. I 100% did not need to sign him. I was so I was quite well stacked uh, in the attacking outside of midfield, especially at the time. But I said, you know what? You know, I can't pass this up. Five-star player, here we go, bring him in. And... Um, it was a, coming into the January window, and I loaned him straight out, and we'll see how things go from there. So this player was Samir Nasri. Came in, I couldn't see his full attributes when I signed, well, before I signed him, and then when I signed him, I looked, and his attributes were quite, you know, it was quite stark in some ways, what I could see. So in some cases, like you're talking, like, 15, 16 in terms of like the technical attributes as dribbling, as crossing, you know, passing creativity. But then you're looking at other attributes and it was like, no, um, I think finishing was nine. I was kind of thinking, this guy's no good compared to what I have. I need to like get this guy out on loan and hope he develops. At the time in my game, Portsmouth were uh, my closest challengers with my, to my Liverpool side. And Portsmouth were in second place behind me. There were in I think there could have been about 10 points adrift at this stage in January. And a day after I signed Samir Nasri, I got a loan offer from Portsmouth and I accepted it. And Nasri went on and had an absolutely fantastic season with Portsmouth. Obviously couldn't play against me, thankfully. It was the only game he missed in the second half of that season. But he absolutely lit the Premier League up. I think he could have, could have possibly become Portsmouth Player of the Year, even that year, or the fans played or something like that. He did absolutely fantastic. 
So I was rubbing my hands, thinking, right, I have this guy to come in. I brought him in. Obviously, you know, I had a, an established squad there at the time, so I brought him in to compete, ready to go. Um, I'd spent a considerable amount of money on I think, at the time. I think I'd spent possibly about £12 million or so, which, you know, you have to cash your mind back to the time. You know, £12 million was a considerable amount of money, the transfer market at the time. Especially if you're looking at a squad player, really, kind of, which is what he was to come in. Uh, so Nasri came, comes into the squad um, between the the summer and Christmas, couldn't get a kick, in, couldn't get a kick. When I started him, you know, I, I tried him on the left wing, I tried him on centre midfield, attacking midfield, tried him everywhere, and he was awful, absolutely awful. Portsmouth came in again in the January, took him on loan, he lit the place up. And at the end of the season, like, I ended up selling them for £4 million. Pounds. So I took a, a huge loss on Nasri there. I think he played an overall total of four or five games for me in the end. But, you know, there wasn't really, like I said, an opportunity sign that just totally fell flat on its face. And obviously, I've learned since then, you know, I'm not the 14, 15-year-old I was at the time when I made that deal happen. I'd like to think I'm a bit wiser. I'd like to think I'd be a bit more, you know... Look, I can, I can, everyone knows, like, everybody can be kind of tempted into an impulse buy now and then when they're out and about in the shops or see something on Amazon or classic football shorts, wherever it is. So I'd like to think that I'm starting to get that kind of in, excuse me, impulsivity out of my system, and especially in football manager terms, because as we all know, we don't want the headache of having players there who, you know, aren't too happy just to be in our squads in whatever capacity it is they're in. When, uh, especially if they're not playing first team football and they think they should be. So, in terms of a scout, a transfer system, what what way should we really approach? What way do the pros approach it? And what way can really, you know, what what should we do going into Football Manager 20? Now, as Miles announced on the live stream there in the past few days, we do not have a technical director in Football Manager 20. That role has now changed. And it is now a loan manager. Now, although Miles did not specifically say the technical director's gone, I think we can all be, be safe to assume that, that that role there is is the one in which he was referring. So we now do have a loan manager replacing the technical director. So in terms of building up um, a scouting team, building up a transfer team, transfer committee, whatever name you want to give it, it's important that we can assemble the best personnel possible that we can. And, you know, to f to start all this off in terms of identifying players, identifying who it is we need to bring in with our scouts, one of the best pieces of advice I could give you and that I've read is to get multiple reports on your top targets. You know, every scout sees something different. And all of our scouts and football manager are uniquely different in some ways. They, you know, reports can be very similar because at the end of the day, you know, a player is only in a certain way. A player does have certain strengths. A player does have certain weaknesses, and they are quite glaringly obvious. And we, they will come across in every scout report. But in terms of looking at the likes of the judging a player's potential and ability, and the uh, the analysis that the pros, cons, the strengths, weaknesses, whatever list it is there. Having multiple options there will certainly make your decision much more informed. It might make it easier because some scouts may see different things. 
but trust that you have a scouting system. If you get a scout report back on a player, and in a scouting meeting or something, you like the look of them, you assign right click on the player, get you can get that scout report again, scout for one two matches, whatever it is, scout until full knowledge, preferably, and choose a different scout to give you the report. And this way, then when you go in to make this decision. You'll then have be able to toggle between and see if you're making a decision to acquire this player to move into the acquisition process. Um, the negotiations you'll have multiple opinions. Um, David Moyes, it said, would even garner uh, multiple up to five reports on his on his top targets, and have like possibly a couple hundred thousand or even a thousand pages of reports written up by his scouts on each player. For him to read through and and analyze to give him the best informed decision he could make. Another thing as well with your scouts is to make sure that if you are in charge of your scouting team or you're looking, you have your director on football. If you are setting the transfer targets, if you are set, you should set them something to look towards, so that they know what exactly it is to be looking for. That between yourself as the team manager, and your director of football. And your chief scout and the rest of your scouting team, there is a clear shared vision between all of you that everyone knows that scouts know what they are looking for. Are you looking for a player in a particular position? Are you looking for a player in a particular role? Or are you looking for a particular profile of player? Like I said at the start with the Houston Astros looking for an experienced player to come in. Obviously, now in football as well, Astro Ball, like I've just mentioned. It's creeping into football that data and analysis of potential targets are coming in. It's interesting to see that football manager is built on a great amount of data, a great amount of analysis. And the fact that now, you know, members of the community are beginning to play attributeless is giving the game a much more realistic element that, you know, FM community members, FM players, and now having to judge players based on what they have set out as the quantifiable data, what they will be measuring and comparing um, players against other players with. Obviously, you can't use your attributes, so you need to figure out what are the statistics, what's the data I want to look at. I'm establishing the criteria yourself so that when you go to look and judge at them, you, can, you have their reports, their opinions, but then you can look at the numbers as well and make comparisons with others on those viewing screens where you can, in the scouting centre. Having an organised team of scouts is also very, very important. So again, if you are taking charge of the scouting team, if you are setting scouting assignments, you know, again, this year we've shown that scouts can grow, knowledge can deepen if you keep them in the same region, if you put them in regions they're familiar with. So having like that, a chief scout or your director of football, having them setting the assignments, having them, you know, giving them authority and then allowing the structured team to work and, you know, whether it's work within your scouting region or greater, if you're lucky enough to go right across the world to do that in order to find the best talents for you. it's I don't think it's entirely there in this manner in football manager, but having a head of recruitment and acquisition, which, you know, in realistic in football manager terms could have been the technical director this year, what we possibly would have guessed it was. But as Miles said, they're looking to grow this role. So having a head of recruitment and acquisition, maybe setting your director of football to be the one that takes charge of negotiations or a managing director to give yourself a bit more of a realistic element if you're managing at the upper um, 
if you're managing in the upper tiers with the with the higher profile clubs, which is what we're seeing a lot more in football. There's a good video actually recently on BT, um, an interview with the technical director of Brighton. It's up on their YouTube channel on the BT Sports YouTube channel, talking with Brighton's direct technical director to see just exactly what it is and what's entailed in his role. The interview was done, I think it was um was it real uh Doreen Genus was certainly one of the three pundits who was uh or one of the two three pundits here who was uh, interviewing the, the technical director there who left the uh, English FA to go and work for Brighton. So certainly that's worth a watch as well if you want to know what's involved in the technical director role and maybe begin to make kind of some plans towards how you could implement that as a football manager you get your director of football possibly to take that role in all but title. Another aspect of the scouting process which I which professional clubs put an awful lot of thought and emphasis into and put an, are beginning to spend a lot more time looking at is inquiry into the player's background information. So to get a greater picture of what this player is like in terms of personality on and off the pitch and then what the expected demands and interests would be. So fortunately enough in Football Manager we get some glimpses into this. We can see what a player's personality is like and make decisions based on that. And then we can also, our scouts can also possibly give us ballpark figures of what uh, transfer fee and wage demands this player could possibly look for to, to make the move to your club. So in terms of a financial decision, then you'd also be, you could have a, an idea then of if this player is possibly a financially viable move for you. I know a lot of clubs like would like do, and as we know now, interview players before they they make the move They'll ask them a couple of might meet up, have a couple of questions for them, see if they'll fit want to fit in with the philosophy of the manager. I think Jurgen Klopp's two questions are would you like to do you like to train and do you like to run? So, you know, I'd love an element like that to be added to football manager where we could actually have a chat with the player before we make the transfer move. And hopefully that's one of the, the features Miles was teasing ahead of FM future FM editions in between twenty twenty one and as they're saying now twenty twenty three. You know, I think, and like I said, with in terms of the Astro Ball, I'm harping back to this again, harping back a little bit now to Jurgen Klopp, but in the interview with Ben Reiter, with um on Graham Hunter's podcast, uh, with he does drop Liverpool name check Liverpool as one of the clubs who are possibly leading in terms of the data, understanding data and using data to identify targets and players in order to bring them in. Uh, and you know, if, as a Liverpool fan, it gives me great pleasure to to, to know um, journalists, pundits, and the media alike are praising Liverpool's um, transfer system at the minute because it seems to be working in terms of the players they're bringing in. You know, we all knew Andy Robertson had plenty of potential. We knew Andy, Liverpool been watching Andy Robertson for a couple of years, even back to his Dundee days. And to see him make the move to Liverpool has been, has been great. And you know it's you know for eight million as well. You have to say, look, that's that's a great move, especially when you if you believe other journalists reporting the summer that Liverpool were linked with Junior Firpo of Real Betis for forty five million pounds to come in. So you know it's nice to see Liverpool using data statistics to try and you know and bringing in players like and likes of Andy Robertson who are coming in and making a considerable difference. But one of the things that Liverpool do now, they've learned from this transfer committee and it's evolved in this new direction, is they use a three-step approach. The three-step approach involves the club's transfer acquisition team. Uh, the second, 
topics. So you're talking Chief Scout there. You're talking um, uh, the sporting director. That's Michael Edwards. Jurgen Klopp has a seat at the table. And interesting enough for Michael Edwards, he also would have a representation there. There is representation on that committee as well from Liverpool's ownership group. And that leads into the second kind of criteria. So not only does the first question in this transfer, this three-step approach is the first one. Does the manager want him? Would the manager want this player? Will he fit in with his philosophy? Is the player he feel he can work with? Secondly, does he fit in with the owner's expectations? So are the owners happy to, you know, spend the money to bring this player in? Do they feel that this player would justify his fee and wages? And the third question then is, is the transfer in line with current market trends? I, mean, I suppose the transfer of Allison last season would have broken, you know, was certainly something that uh, shook up the goalkeeping transfer market, I suppose, really, that, you know, a goalkeeper, the transfer record of a goalkeeper had been broken significantly since the first time since Gigi Buffon. And then not, not much longer afterwards did Kepa's transfer to Chelsea do the same. So you have to kind of look, so that's kind of, I suppose, one thing we don't really consider football managers look at other clubs, what transfers they're making and saying, look, if I make the move for such and such a player, you know, actually, am I getting good value for money in comparison to other clubs of my level, my stature, my division are playing for, you know, similar players, really, clubs, you know, is it is this a fair and equal amount? So one of the ways that the Liverpool scouting then would be that the club operates with spotting transfer opportunities and assessing the availability. You know, there's no point in making a move for a player which you know be very, very difficult to move. You have to understand this is the opportunity for this player to be moved on and you have to assess the availability. I know the Allison move had been suggested in terms because Roma were looking to generate some funds. You know, I know it doesn't it didn't go down well too well with Roma fans, but the fact that Liverpool then assessed the availability, they assessed went through those three steps and they felt the move was right and I suppose we can all see the, the influence Alisson had on the team last year in comparison to the Mignolet carrier situation the years before so you have to kind of really kind of spot find this opportunity to make this move happen and make it happen as quickly and as feasibly as possible you know another transfer I suppose you know that has really lit up Liverpool and kind of given this side a new edge has been like Fabinho again one that kind of happened very very quickly and then suppose the most standard one of the last couple of years being Mo Salah from Roma again I don't think it's any secret out there that Jurgen Klopp's first choice target was Julian Brandt to bring in Brandt and have him play that's what we're seeing Mo Salah do now however you know Salah was the player that the the transfer board, this transfer committee, this transfer team, they felt that data was there, everything was there to back up. And they managed, you know, Jurgen Klopp felt that, you know, he assessed the data, sussed out Mo and felt, you know, okay, look, this is advisable, let's go with this, let's make this happen. And I don't think there's many Liverpool fans out there who would argue that, you know, Julian Brandt would have been a better signer now, three, four years after. Mo Salah has come in. The other, the one thing though that that does interest me in particular is really about the Liverpool transfer system has been the scouting department working two transfer windows ahead. So what that does is the club would assess the current squad and project where each player will be in two years' time. 
and they'll use this then to predetermine what needs the clubs will have in two windows time. So you're talking like next season. For the Liverpool squad for this window, the belief was that squad contracts would be the main focus and that if a transfer opportunity arose that the club felt again was financially viable, was a good opportunity and was in light of the guidelines the club was working within, they'd make it happen. So whether it was like Donny van der Beek, the 62, 63 million pounds Ajax wanted, Liverpool felt was not an option, so they backed off that move. And we saw Liverpool kind of really bring in other, like, you know, Adrian really has been the only kind of signing who we've seen from, you know, last season into this season has had any game time. And that's down to the fact that he he, he came in and re- replaced an injured uh, Allison. So you're kind of working two years, working this two windows in the future, it certainly can give you a better idea of your squad and give you plenty of time to gather the data have it, your opinion ready and know I, this is the time for this move to happen. At the end of the day, like we as the manager, if you're kind of setting off director of football chance, if you want the director of football to be the one in charge of the moves, you want to work in a head coach position, the option is there. Miles has even said it with the, the staff preference screen. But the thing is, as managers, always make sure you have the first say and the last say in the transfer. Establish the position and role it is you want. Allow this transfer, this scouting team to go out, find players, and then you have the last say on which of those players it is that's brought in. Because after all, it is your squad that you have to manage. And if all th- things fall flat, it will be you that lose your job. It may not be the director of football, the chief scout, or anybody else in this transfer committee. And then, so, and then like I said, when you find these multiple opinions from your scouts, you... You can use it in the stream on your shortlist. Guido talked last week when he was suggesting all those players for last week's podcast. You know that he's a shortlist of 300 players. When he goes to make the move, he has he can look at the report, look at the data there and see and make his informed decision working off there. And that's what this scouting system can use. If you set up a good structured scouting system, it can make your decision making easier. By streamlining the shortlist, Allowing you to compare the fees and wages, weigh up the pros, cons, strength, weaknesses of all these potential targets you have. But then, most importantly, the one thing you need to do is establish your priorities. Because it's a case of if your squad needs eight players, if you need to sign eight players in a transfer window, you can sign your first feasibly, realistically, you're not going to have to sign your first choice in each of those eight positions, each of those eight categories. Because financially, you know, you're, you could be spending a lot, a lot of money. So what you have to do is you have to put the emphasis on getting that top target in, spending the money where you feel it's needed, and then work down the list in terms of financial viability for your players as you move further down. It's not to say you're bringing in weaker players. It's not to say you're bringing in worse players. But you just have to be realistic and work within the constraints, of course, that we can always be put in in this game. To finish off now, we're going to um, going to finish off with a community uh, story and an unfortunate one from regular contributor to the pod, Charlie Tango FM. Charlie talks, Charlie has um, thankfully shared one of his transfer horror stories and I'm sure we'd all be able to empathise with this one. But back in the 0001 days, blue, not red, when I ruined a 10 year save 
by signing John Terry and Rio Ferdinand one summer. For some reason, they just couldn't play together and we shipped goals galore. And each player cost about £50 million each. As I said to Charlie, that is a genuinely heartbreaking story. Two of the greatest centre-backs of not just recent English football, but possibly like, you know, English football. Formed a very, very good partnership at international level, as we've seen in real life. But unfortunately, you know, for Charlie, as you can see, football championship manager, those can be cruel, cruel lessons and cruel reality in which things just don't pan out the way we think they will and the way they actually do in real life. Again, so thanks very much to Charlie there for his contribution. Obviously, you're, everyone out there, your contributions are always welcome to every pod. It's just me, it's my voice. But of course, it's your platform. You you can have your view from the technical, if your view from your technical area always shared, your view from your manager's office, your views from your FM notebook shared. It's always welcome on this podcast. So again, we're weekly. Uh, if you want to get involved, um, I'll be tweeting during the week, sharing topics, trying to get involved in a couple of chats on Twitter and on Slack. The links to those socials can be found down in the podcast notes below. The links to me, Gaffer Grammar, can be found below. This has been uh, episode 7. If you've liked it, please review the podcast, subscribe, share, please do everything. I'm trying to get the numbers up, get the numbers growing again, going into FM20. Um, episode 8 will be out next week, and I have my topic ready, and that's one, one that I feel is, um, you know, could be a, a big talking point going forward now as managerial changes start to uh, happen a bit, a bit more regularly, and that's being a pragmatic manager. So, you know, just to tease a little bit what we'll be talking about there, just to get you involved. You know, people are suggesting that Mass, Massimo Allegri is the number one favourite for the Manchester United job should Ole Gunnar Solskjaer lose his job. And one of the reasons is, not only is Allegri a talented manager, but he's also quite pragmatic. He'll come into a club, assess the players, and put a system in place that brings out and maximises the best in those players he has inherited. And then from that point on, try and you know get a squad to grow. Try and progress the squad, evolve the squad in line with his vision. So, I want your thoughts on being a pragmatic manager. Are you someone who goes in and changes a club, shakes things out, has a massive clear up the first day, and then tries to bring in your own squad? Or like that, do you like to go in, assess the squad, put it, instead of implementing your system from the start, put a system in place that brings out the best in your squad, and then evolve into your system as time goes on. Okay, so all so tweets to get involved, they'll be going out across the next few days, the next week into the recording of next week. Get involved in the Slack channel for the chat there. I will talk to you again. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good one.